Good afternoon, everybody. This is Corey Hepler for the Crazy Monkey Inc. podcast again with Jared Gifford. How are you doing? Doing good. That's awesome. We got a chance to play a Castlevania game that not only is, I feel, part of the franchise, but it also plays very, very well, just like the first, second, and third Castlevania, and I personally feel, this is just me, Mm -hmm. I personally feel that it plays a lot like Castlevania 3, and I believe that the the people that had made this new one, that's kind of the twist they were going for, if I'm correct. Yeah, exactly. Um, The thing is, is that um, it's called Bloodstained Curse of the Moon, and it's uh, what you would call a spiritual successor to Castlevania. What happened was... This was created by the guy who was responsible for Castlevania Symphony of the Night. And uh, anyway, what happened was, um, for those who maybe don't remember, the, he was doing a Kickstarter campaign for a game he was going to be called Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, which is still set to be released. But what happened was, as part of the tier incentives that he had for his Kickstarter, one of them was he was going to create an 8-bit style retro game. And and that that's what became Bloodstained Curse of the Moon, and that's now actually available on um, all sorts of platforms. You can buy it on the PS4 network. You can buy it on uh, Steam. You know, just many of the internet networks. Um, and it's a really fun game. And as I said, it's a spiritual successor to Castlevania. And uh, um, this one, you um, you the initial character you play is this guy named Zengetsu. And he's basically a demon hunter, and I mean, it's it's very similar in the fact that he's trying to go and kill like the king of demons. I mean, they don't call it Dracula or anything, because I don't know if copyrights or something. <laughs> but uh, but basically, what you pretty much get from the game is no, this this is pretty much it's, it's a Castlevania game. They call it something else, but it's a Castlevania game. And oh. I think one of the things that I really really enjoyed about it is the fact that. It has that old retro-style color to it. It's got the retro-style demons and monsters. It looks like something... I mean, even though even though there's a... It, you know, it's it probably doing something that, that was maybe graphically... That Nintendo was graphically incapable of. But what I believe is that it does look like it could have been a game that you could have popped into your old Nintendo and played. As you said, this looks like it could have been a sequel to Castlevania Three. Now, I'm under the impression that because this was so successful, that I'm under the impression that he might be willing to do a successor to this game. See, I, I would think that would be really awesome if they did a little retro sequel or something. I, but what I think what people are initially waiting for is the fact that since this was part of the incentives for doing... Uh, since Bloodstained Curse of the Moon was a part of the incentives for doing Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, yeah. I think people want to see Ritual of the Night out first before anything else because, I mean, they've already paid for it. True. Um, and, uh, and as far as I know, he's 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 still working on that. And I mean, I've seen the screenshots for it and everything, and it actually looks pretty cool. It, it you know, the 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 look and feel of it seems very much like Castlevania Symphony of the Night. See, and if anybody's um, privy to playing Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Mm-hmm. Not only was it a gorgeous game, like the color was amazing, the characters were amazing, just the whole atmosphere of Symphony mm-hmm. of the Night was just fantastic. 
Not only that, but you got to play characters mm -hmm. that you hadn't played before, and mm -hmm. it was really... It was refreshing. Well, and, well, one of the things I liked about Castlevania Symphony of the Night was that, I mean, technically, I mean, technically, yes, you could play as Alucard in Castlevania Three. Yeah. Um, but this was this was kind of the first time where where the uh, where where Alucard was the main character. Um, yeah, he wasn't like one of yeah. those. Uh, yeah. I don't want to call them side characters because it really wasn't a side character. But basically, they weren't the main focus. Because let's yeah. be honest, uh, is you know, and once again, I'm not being mean to anybody else in the game. But let's be honest, Castlevania Three was about Trevor Belmont. It was. He, he, it was. He was the main. He was the main character. And and Castlevania Symphony of the Night. This is where Alucard is. Alucard is the main character. Okay, um, it said Alucard is the main character, and and he's uh, you know, and, and and the whole thing with that game was that um, was that he was actually looking for Richter Belmont, who had gone missing about five years before, um, and uh, and and pretty much. Uh, Let's be honest. I mean, and this is not to slight Castlevania Three once again because I love that game. But let's be honest: when you got to play as Alucard in Castlevania Symphony Night, Alucard was a badass in that game. Exactly. And I remember the first time you introduced me to Symphony of the Night. I, for lack of a better term, I came in my pants. <laughs> Because it was just such an amazing game, just the atmosphere, the the, mm -hmm. the way they plotted it all together, and the way mm -hmm. that the levels just sequenced one right after the other. Yeah. It was like, holy shit, this is amazing. And mm -hmm. they had done something that they hadn't done with any other Castlevania game before. Oh, yeah. And and, and, that's what I'm and, and, and it also started, um, and for those who aren't familiar, it also started what people know as the Metroidvania-style games. Because what happened was, um, all the Castlevania games up to that point, from... The first Castlevania up to um, up to uh, you know, uh, Castlevania Rondo of Blood, yeah, or is the uh, the people know the American release is Castlevania Dracula X. Um, basically, everything had been more of a linear style. It was basically you would fight your way through these levels and then kill a bad guy at the end. Um, the uh, what happened was with Castlevania Symphony of the Night, they opted for a more Metroid-style game, where basically you'd go and explore all these different areas in uh, um, in different places, and then um, you know, and, and then just fight enemies from within that whole area. Um, it, it it didn't have that whole linear sort of like walk your way through a level. Um, getting uh, getting various items and then killing the main bad guy at the end. This one was, I said, had more of an exploratory element. Yeah, um, that's exactly what I was thinking of saying. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. And they called it Metroid. They called the they called the style Metroidvania because what had happened was this was the kind of style that they had had in the Metroid games. And I remember when I first got my hands on Metroid, mm -hmm. I was blown away because yeah. I was like, no other game up to that point. Had done the exploratory, mm -hmm. and, th and that's what I'm saying. And then, but but anyway, um, oh, we're we're digressing here. But uh, but what it, what I'm saying is uh um and uh with the uh, bloodstained, uh this this series basically what happens is uh, uh you know uh, the sad thing is we haven't seen a new Castlevania game since uh, Castlevania Lords of Shadow two. 
Yeah. Um, that was the last Castlevania game we ever really saw. And, and, and you know, while at this point I'm pretty sure that they will eventually come out with a new Castlevania game. But what I like about Bloodstained is Bloodstained basically keeps us happy and gives us that Metro... Uh, the, the, sorry, that, that Castlevania-style game. Yeah. That Castlevania-style game uh, while we're waiting for the next installment of Castlevania. I'm under the impression that... Lords of Shadow 2, they'd have to top that like crazy for the next game because... Actually, that wouldn't be too hard because what had happened was... Um, they had a big precedent with the first Lords of Shadow. Because what had happened was, um, for those who are not familiar, and, and I had actually done the research on this. Um, with the first Lords of Shadow, um, Hideo Kojima, um, and those who don't know him, he's the guy who helped create the Metal Gear Solid franchise. Yeah. He helped actually make... Um, Castlevania Lords of Shadow. Anyway, when him and Konami had their falling out, he left to go form his own studio, and then he actually went and joined up with Sony. Yeah. Um, Smart move, by the way. Yeah. Um, what happened was then Konami started restructuring their company to emphasize, like, uh, I guess, like, uh, digital-style games and whatnot. Um, and... Um, and, and uh, I guess what would they call them? Like pay for play games or something. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, uh, what happened was the sequels to Lords of Shadow were not as good as the first Lords of Shadow because then you had um, Ca uh, Castlevania uh, Lords of Shadow Mirror of Fate, mm -hmm. um, which was which was I mean it wasn't bad, but it it the the style they changed up the style. What happened was the way they referred to Castlevania Lords of Shadow was it was basically uh, Castlevania, the Castlevania slash God of War, because uh, Castle, <laughs> well, yeah, because Castlevania Lords of Shadow had a sort of um, God of War style type play that they would use. It really it, did. Yeah. It was just how we talked about Castlevania Symphony of Night being more Metroid like. Yeah, um, Castlevania Lords of Shadow had more of a God of War feel to it. See, and I was used yeah. to playing the God of War games. Yeah, after the first. A couple of them came out. So when I played Lords of Shadow, yeah. I was actually quite surprised and I was quite mm. happy at how it, they had done it. However, yeah. it was almost like they were digressing from the original Castlevania vein of yeah. what it was supposed to be about. Well, and that's what I'm saying. And then the sequels kind of, it's almost like they reverted back to a certain more uh, different style. And then, um, and then the story just got really weird and convoluted because they started changing characters origins around uh, changing things up so it was just all confusing it was like uh it was like you know i mean i liked it you know i mean once again just gonna show what an old school fan i am but i liked it better when you had that one kind of cohesive story and just kind of went on and on and on i kind of like the whole i like the original Castlevania timeline and the fact that you know it starts out in the medieval period and then, you know, then you had the, the various successors throughout the year. The first there was Trevor Belmont, and then you had Christopher Belmont in the Game Boy titles. Mm -hmm. And then you had the original Simon Belmont, who's like, you know, the classic one. Yeah. And then, um, and then you had uh, Richter Belmont. Um, and then you had, um, and, and then, you, uh, let's see, um, and uh, then you had, um, God, I You had said something about Sophia Belmont as well. Um, well, she was unofficial. Unfortunately, what happened was, um, she was part of the timeline, but then they axed her out. Because what happened was, she was in the Game Boy title Castlevania Legends. Yeah. And, um, 
and she was she was a character that I mean I personally liked it, but but I guess what happened was they felt that it really changed the story up uh, in a way that they didn't want to go. But what they had it was that Sophie, Sophia Belmont and Alucard ended up getting together, and then um, and and what you find out is that Sophia is is like Trevor's grandmother. Yeah, and um, and and so basically what you what you have is this whole like sort of. The Belmont, the Belmont line is is basically got the blood of vampires in them, hence why they're such good vampire hunters. And I don't know, I kind of like that idea, but uh, but anyway, Konami decided to axe that out, and then they basically changed the storyline so that she didn't exist. See, and that actually really kind of fucking pissed me off because Sophia is mm -hmm. the character in the Game Boy game. Mm -hmm. was really intriguing. I loved playing as her. Oh, yeah, and see, I had you no know. problem with it. And, in fact, interesting enough, a lot of people don't know, this was a game that was going to happen, but then uh, what happened was... Uh, what happened was it, 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 it was going to come out during the end of the... Uh, during the life, end of the life cycle of the Sega Saturn. So what happened was... Um, um, for those who don't know, the Sega Saturn came out around the same time as the Sony PlayStation. Mm-hmm. And all, uh, and then they would have like various games that would go on multiple platforms like that. Because in fact, there actually is a Sega Saturn version of Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Um, and anyway, what happened was uh, it was going to come out during the end of the Sega Saturn life cycle, and there was going to be a game. I, I forget the name of it, but uh, but in this Castlevania game, you were actually going to play as Sophia Belmont again. Yeah. And it was going to go more into that history. <coughs> um, and so this was going to be like one of the first... Uh, w I mean, it wasn't the first 3D game, because they'd had some 3D stuff before, but it would have been the first uh, 3D game to have uh, to have Sophia Belmont in it. And and like I said, this was basically it was, it was going to be based a, a few years after Castlevania Legends, and it was going to explain that whole family timeline and everything. Yeah. But then what ended up happening was uh, Konami decided to scrap that, and and I will admit that uh, the game they replaced it with was still good too, because I love this one too. But uh, what happened was um, they decided they were going to start from the beginning with uh, Castlevania: Lament of Innocence, which mm -hmm. came out for the PS2, which was which, awesome. Which which, uh, which actually took on sort of a Devil May Cry kind of style. Mm -hmm. Um, and um. And you know that we're both yeah. huge yeah. Devil May Cry fans. Oh uh, yeah, and and then that's basically when they decided, okay, we're gonna start <clears throat> the, we're gonna start the game out with um uh why can't I remember his name? Um it it was uh It wasn't Gabriel. No, um because because Gabriel was in Lords of Shadow. Yeah. Um no, um it was it started with a T and no it wasn't Trevor. Um was it? I I can't remember. I'll, I'll go and look it up. But anyway, yeah, they, they decided they decided they were going to start out with a different Belmont character. Yeah, and that basically the whole Belmont line of him fighting Dracula was going to start with him. And they actually had a cool story for it too, because you had these two friends that had fought in the war together, and what had happened was um, one of the guy's girlfriends ended up getting killed uh, in combat, and he was a little bitter. Anyway, what happened was um, another his friend basically set out to go and um, um, find a cure for for his girlfriend who had fallen ill. Yeah. Anyway, um, basically during the course of the whole thing, he basically you know long story short, and there's going to be a spoiler for so for those who haven't played Castlevania: Lament of Innocence, you might want to skip ahead a little bit. But uh, 
but but what happened was um he uh the, the main character um had found out that his friend actually had set that whole thing up mm-hmm. because he wanted the power of darkness to basically get revenge on the world and then you find out that this friend is who later becomes dracula true <clears throat> and then basically what happens is um leon that was his name, Leon Belmont. Oh, that's right. Um, and then, uh, and in Leon, um, he basically <coughs> after after they fight each other and everything, and he gets defeated, he basically uh, then pledges to death because death's kind of like trying to take Dra- Dracula away and whatever. And uh, anyway, but he basically pledges to death that because he basically said, "Oh, then you know they're gonna rise again, like uh, you know, a hundred years later or whatever." Yeah. Um. And uh, basically that from then on, Leon pledges that his family will always uh, will always hunt down, uh, will be there to hunt down Dracula and his minions. And the cool thing about Leon is the fact that he kept through with his promise all the way until the bitter end. Oh yeah, and pretty much what happens is he, he, that's when you got the Belmont family, and then each generation would train up the next generation to fight Dracula, or basically to fight the forces of darkness. Yeah. And like I said, so it was pretty good, so, I mean, like I said, I like both stories, so I can't basically say I like one over the other. I like the Sophia Belmont story, but then I also like what they did with Leon, so, I mean, once again, it's one of those things that, I don't know, I, I wish they could have combined the two stories, because I think they still could have worked, but... That would have been really cool, to have them uh, both in one game, you could just switch off, kind of well, like how you did... What happened hell? Why don't they <clears throat> just say this? Why don't they... I mean, they could kind of change the timeline around slightly, and then basically say that uh, that Sophia was Leon's daughter. And that would work. Yeah. (sighs) Because then he would be training up her to go and fight in his stead when he was done. Yeah, exactly. And so, I don't know, I think it could work. But anyway, um, back to what I was talking about, Bloodstained. Bloodstained is the spiritual successor to all that. To me, it feels like a Castlevania game we haven't gotten in a long time. And and, and it's actually got that linear style to it, which I I like. Because, once again, um, you had so many games. You had so many games that... um, so for so long, you, you, you know, and once again, it's not a bad thing, but you, but but most Castlevania games were one of two styles, the um, the two D games would either adopt the more Metroidvania style, which had been adopted since Finny of the Night, yeah, or the three D games would either go one of two directions. They would either de- uh, go a more Devil May Cry kind of style, mm-hmm. or they'd go, as I said, like in terms of Castlevania: Lord of the Shadow, they'd go more of a God of War kind of style. But um, but you didn't ha- you didn't had a, a linear style Castlevania uh, probably since the sixteen bit era. True. Yeah. And uh, and and what I like with Bloodstained is Bloodstained is sort of it's it's almost like, you know, it, um, it, it's almost like a, a, a tip of the hat uh, to the to the old school fans like us. You know, it's almost basically like, basically like okay, here's what you've been waiting for for the longest time: a linear style Castlevania adventure, even though it's not called Castlevania, but it's still it's technically still is Castlevania. Castlevania. <laughs> I love the linear style because not only. Yeah. Did we start out with that? Yeah. It was almost like it was basically Konami saying, "Okay, we've got this amazing way of doing things." Actually, no. It was this was not done by Konami. As I said, <clears throat> it was this was actually, um, as I said, the creator, uh, the guy who had done Castlevania Symphony Night. But no, he actually did this through an indie company called uh, called Interplay. 
Oh, okay. You didn't tell me that. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Dick. Okay. Anyway. Uh, well, I, I, this, this was this was not to make anyone look foolish. I'm sorry. I I I mean, once again, I I end up assuming that people know these things. No, you're good. But uh, but yeah, but no, uh, the, this was. Well, no, but what I'm saying is because because. Cause that, cause that was his frustration, and, and that, that's actually why he went and created games like this. Is yeah, that, uh, he he was frustrated because just like what with Hido Hido Kojima, the guy who created the Metal Gear Solid series, and why he left, he left because you know he was frustrated with the direction that Konami was going. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this was kind of the same thing what happened with the creator who had done Castlevania Symphony of Night, and and what he did with these Bloodstain games. That was basically him wanting to come out with the, to get, give somebody a good Castlevania style game because because Konami hadn't done anything as I said since the Lord of, Lords of Shadow series. And my thing is, if they continue with this linear style as he wants to keep on doing, mm-hmm. I would have no problem with that because, yeah. like we said in the earlier. The linear style was what we started out with, and don't get me mm-hmm. wrong, I love the God of War style that they had and with we even Lords of the Shadow style. and the Metroidvania style. However, <clears throat> with the linear style, it, we, it, it it gave a it gave a simplicity to the difficulty that was already f- like just. Well, yeah, and it's choking got, Castlevania. Well, and it's, and it's got that standard Castlevania difficulty. I mean, don't get us wrong. But what I also think is is especially for old school games like old school gamers like ourselves, and and you know a lot of people, you, you can, nostalgia can be for good or for bad. But in this case, I think is a good kind of nostalgia. Yeah, having that linear style again, it's almost basically it it brings guys like ourselves back to our childhood and basically like ah, you know, we remember sitting down and playing Castlevania for the first time, and it's just bringing us back you know um and and i think that's so that's what i'm saying so so overall i'd have to say that my first impression of the bloodstained curse of the moon game is that i think it's an awesome effort i think it's great and i think this is a good spiritual successor to castlevania and i'm gonna do one of those siskel and eber things i'm gonna give this shit like a five thumbs up because (laughs) while i didn't play it yeah. Watching, watching you throw out the mechanics mm-hmm. and watching it feel as linear as it was and very Castlevania three and two and one ish. Yeah, I really feel that this game is amazing. And as mm-hmm. soon as we beat this some bitch, yeah, um, because I know we will because yeah. we have this thing with games. If we don't beat them, mm-hmm. we go crazy. Oh yeah, no, we, we, we won't do that. So right now, what we're gonna let you know is this: this is our initial impression of Bloodstain because because we only just barely started playing it. Our initial impression of it is that it's good, feels like a good spiritual success of Castlevania. We promise that uh, now, once once we can play the game and beat it, we'll give you guys a full in-depth review of what we think of the game in total. Exactly. Um, right now, this is our initial impression. So. Um, I will tell you this. It'll either be next week we can give you a full review, or at least two weeks from now. And that's that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So so yeah. So as I said, my initial impression is it seems good. Seems like a good spiritual successor to Castlevania games, and so far, I would recommend it. 
And I would as well. <laughs> now, segueing into business. Yep. <laughs> I feel that the Furious Kickstarter, mm -hmm. as it's on a, as it's in production right now, I've seen a couple of the pages that. Um, well, the Kickstarter's done, but the well, but yeah, the book but, you, but the, book, the book, book is being worked yeah. on. Yes. Um, I feel that the pages that I've seen that. Um, I have been so privy to have mm -hmm. someone PM me about. Yeah, good. Um, <laughs> they look good. Oh yeah, and that's what I'm saying is that uh, I mean, so far from the stuff I've been seeing, they've been all they've been really awesome. Um, as I you know, as I pointed out before, you know, I think I think Samir Samal has become a really good fit for Brian, mm -hmm. um, and it really complements. I think one of the cool things is is that when you place them together. The old initial Furious series that, that Brian had done for Dark Horse, and then you compare it with the new series he's doing over at Crazy Monkey Inc. Um, I think they complement each other pretty well. I think that Samir Samal's style is a good sort of... Um, it, 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 it succeeds Victor Santos' style quite well. And the cool thing is, Victor Santos, the, or, the original... The the, the 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 original artist for the original Furious uh, miniseries, mm -hmm. um, he's doing the covers for um, for for the for the new Furious books coming out. So, so I mean that's that that's actually that's actually pretty cool. So not only do you get to see Samir Samal's awesome artwork, but you also still get to see some of Victor Santos's awesome artwork because he's still going to be contributing to it. Exactly. And so I'm extremely excited because as soon as that is done and all taken care of and it's finally the graphic novel that's going to be, mm -hmm. when I get to read that in my own hot little hands, yeah. I'm just going to be so elated because as soon yeah. as I get to meet Brian, I'm going to ask him as nicely as possible if he'll sign it for me yeah. because not only is Brian... An amazing person. Mm -hmm. He's down to earth. He's really cool. He's funny, mm -hmm. and he's just a really awesome writer. Like there are mm -hmm. amazing writers out in the comic world mm -hmm. that I absolutely adore. They they have mm -hmm. amazing ways of portraying comics. Mm -hmm. Yet how Brian does his scripts and how he. Sh gives you this all-out visual. It's kind of like a Stephen King-ish. He gives such description yeah. that when it's actually made into a comic, you're just like, this came from this genius? Yeah. Holy shit, this is awesome! Well, yeah, you, you, you read that stuff, and, and uh, um, you know, it's like, uh, you know, because, um, you know, I've, I've read a bunch of his stuff, too, and I've seen his style, and, um, and he's, he's, he's got this way of writing that... It feels like it could either be a TV series or a film, you know. Um, it, it, it really does have this sort of theatrical feel to it. You know, I'd love to see Furious as an actual movie. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? That would like, be fucking amazing. Fur uh, it's like a Fur uh, yeah, 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 Furious the movie. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Hey, 
you know, Brian, you know, if you're if you're listening to this one, dude, you you should be approaching Hollywood with this. <laughs> as well as Mice Templar, because you yep. know how cool that would be actually, as an actually, animated movie. Actually, actually, I love that you bring that up because I don't know if you know this, but uh, but I believe I might have told you before. But but there it's no they're actually going to have an um, an animated series of Mice Templar. Get the uh, fuck out of here! Yeah, I know. I told, I totally told you. It's, you know, I, I know. I've seen it. Um, Brian's <sighs> posted about it. Um, and nice. I know it's, it's, yeah, it's really awesome. In fact, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're actually going to get an animated version of the Mice Templar. That's awesome. Oh yeah, that's really cool, actually. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm quite excited myself when I heard about it. I was like, oh, that's, that's really cool. And, and yeah, so so I know I'm I'm totally happy for Brian. I mean, seriously, good stuff's happening for this guy. I mean, this whole thing is like you know, um, you know, he's gonna have that new. He's gonna have the new Furious series out. He's mm-hmm. gonna have his own animated version of Mice Templar, and you know, I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. And uh, and. You know, he hasn't given the full details, you know, the full deets on, uh, the deets. yeah, on, uh, <laughs> on his new project, but, uh, but I, but I've seen some of his posts that he's been putting on social media mm-hmm. and, and, and I guess he's working on a new project and this new project sounds really cool, but unfortunately I don't know a whole lot about it because Brian's such a damn secretive guy. <laughs> and that's okay because yeah. us as creative types, we're not going to be like giving out all of our candy at once because yeah. you'll get like maybe snippets and you'll get like a Snickers bar. Oh, no. But well, you're mean, not going to get the whole damn bag. I, 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 like, <laughs> I like what what Brian does. And, and I kind of like to do this with my own stuff as well. So so I get it. Um, is that uh, what Brian does is he kind of does what I like to call people is, um, and he likes to do a George Lucas. And now, for those the, the, for those that are not familiar with what I mean by that, because I'm pretty sure a lot of you are drawing your conclusions up already, no, no, this doesn't mean that you make a good movie and then make a crappy one. No, it's not. No, 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 no. That's, that's not, not what I mean at all. Um, I came up with this term before George Lucas even came out with the prequels. I came up with this term back when George Lucas was just coming out with hit after hit after hit, and he was just and he was just like the director exactly. to do movies. Um, and uh, and and what I mean by that is that George Lucas had this way, especially if you go and watch like his previews for stuff. Uh-huh. He had this way of giving you everything but giving you nothing. Was like he would give you this full on great wondrous looking uh, uh, you know visual feast. But yet, you still had no idea what the hell the plot was. So I think that was pretty clever. It was that it was basically it got you excited, but it didn't spoil anything for you. See, and I will forever be a George Lucas fan because yeah. not only did he help shape the sci-fi world for you yeah. and I, yeah, he was like. The fucking master at writing these well, things. Well, I, I tell people this, and then when somebody, I know there's a lot of people that argue with me about this, but no, seriously, you cannot be someone of our generation and not be a Star Wars fan. Now, unless again, you're no, a no, heathen. Once again, no, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Once again, once again, people might you know get up torches and pitchforks on me on this one, but no, but I'm, but I'm saying, I can actually understand to a degree. Maybe if you're an older person, um. Why maybe you're not so much of a Star Wars fan, like maybe like you know maybe somebody who didn't grow up in that generation. Yeah. But then, but then also if you're maybe a younger person, um, to a degree I can understand because once again you didn't grow up with that. But no, if you're if you're any if you're someone who was 
born in the 70s and 80s, and you're not a Star Wars fan, yeah, you have to wonder, what, well, you know, did you get lobotomized as a child? Did you, did you crawl out from a rock? What happened? Because as you grow up in the era that we grew up in, mm -hmm. it's kind of like an appreciation to not only sci-fi, but it's also an appreciation to an eloquent type of writing that has since, in a way, not really been lost, but mm -hmm. it needs to come back. Well, interestingly enough, what's so funny is a lot of people will say this, that they said that would Star Wars change the face of cinema? And a lot of and a lot of movies change after that. But interestingly enough, and a lot of people don't know this, was when George Lucas came up with the Star Wars concept, his whole thing was he was hearkening back to classic cinema mm -hmm. because the visuals he wanted to be sort of this Flash Gordon esque type thing, because because uh, because like when you the words scroll across the screen. A lot of people don't know this, but it's like, you know, this is a standard Star Wars thing. You know, you got the title screen going by, and then you got the scrolling words, you know, that you're reading. Yeah. Um, he got that idea from Flash Gordon. You go back and you watch the old Flash Gordon serials. It did that, had the scrolling letters, and it'd be like, you know, you know, um, you know, this time Flash Gordon's going to go into the, the into the Hall of Ming, and, 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 you know, uh, and what, what horrid, uh, what horrid dangers await our heroes? Blah 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 blah. You know exactly. But that would, that was George Lucas hearkening back to Flash Gordon, and then and then in terms of things like Jedi Knights and Darth Vader and and all that and and the Force, he actually got that from old um, uh, old samurai movies, mm -hmm. for uh, especially the Kira Kurosawa ones. Um, George Lucas was a huge fan of things like uh, like like one of the things that he got the inspiration for the original Star Wars for, uh, especially the plot was. Uh, um, if you watch the Hidden Fortress, uh -huh. Hidden Fortress is about a samurai who um, who who basically is uh, who, go, who goes out and rescues this 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 princess who's actually been uh, uh, who's actually been kept in a tower, um, and and basically he's he's um, he's aided by these two bumbling fools. Yeah, and anybody who's seen Star Wars knows that hey. C-3PO and R2-D2, what the hell are they? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, basically what it was was George Lucas was taking all of his favorite things from his childhood. Mm -hmm. And George Lucas was a huge fan of things like Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, in terms of sci-fi. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of storytelling, George Lucas was a huge fan of old samurai movies. And so essentially, you have the genius mind, which is George mm -hmm. Lucas. Mm-hmm taking from other genius minds that wrote just as amazingly as him yeah. and he interfused them and you come out with this fucking magnum opus of a yeah. sci-fi that literally changed how cinema was done mm -hmm. from then to now because yeah. you've got to give george lucas credit where credit is due because mm -hmm. What he did with the cinematics, with how he shot the different angles of the spaceships, mm -hmm. and he used uh, the different sounds for the lightsabers and the different sounds for yeah. the different aliens, that had never been done before. Well, exactly, and, and the thing is, like a lot of people, I think, uh, and, and, and I'll go into once again. The uh, I want to let people know I'm not against CGI, but but what, this goes along with what we were just talking about. Yeah. Is that back then they didn't have CGI, so that what they had to do was they had to make special effects out of things that they had on hand. Um, the spaceships were made out of models, mm -hmm. you know, painted models. 
Um, so, you know, so were most of the other vehicles, and so was the Death Star, and, and you know, um, a lot of them were made by models. Yeah. And then, um, and then a lot of the special effects, like, you know, you had the, the, the you know, had the, the explosion things. They would actually, they would actually go and, um, you know, have these machines that would, like, create sparks and whatnot, and, um, and, 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 and the, you know, and then sometimes you had to create effects in camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and basically a lot of the effects were, were either just done by hand or they were done in camera. Um, because they said back then, I mean, there were a few things you could do a little bit differently because, uh, this is where you could, like, have, um, several shots interspersed with each other, like where you would see parts where you'd see the pilot, but then you'd see stuff moving in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, back then they called it blue screen. Nowadays we call it green screen. Yeah. But back then it was blue screen. And, um, and, and basically, yeah, that's basically when you'd have, as I said, the interspersed shots with each other. Um, and, um, and, and, and like I said, that was pretty innovative back then. I mean, yeah, you, you, you go and you look at that nowadays and, and, and you say, oh, we can do better stuff than that. But that was impressive at the time. You, you didn't have a whole lot of that. I mean, a lot of people even say that George Lucas, like with Star Wars, especially the first one, they said that he changed the face of cinema because the whole thing was was that sci-fi movies were look at, looked at as sort of B-movie fanfare yeah. by, that, by, by that time. So what happened was sci-fi had had sort of a... It had a, like a huge heyday in the 1950s. But then by the time the 1960s came in, throughout the 60s and clear up until at least the late 70s, before Star Wars came around, sci-fi was just basically, as I said, looked at as B-movie fair. You know, this was like, oh, only nerds watch sci-fi. Yeah, and it was um, almost like it had been overshadowed. It was still there as a genre, yeah. but it was overshadowed by so many other genres that had come out oh, yeah, during well, that time well, that... To have a sci-fi well, it, come out, it's especially just like, the 70s. Oh. Well, yeah, especially the 70s, because the 70s, uh, I'd say at least early 70s to mid-70s, the, the genre that kind of took over was you had the, uh, the uh, you had sort of the action cop movies. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, uh, basically, this is where, this is the era where things that were famous were things like Dirty Harry, the Death Wish movies. Yeah. Um, you know, um, um, the French Connection. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, but the, the, really, I mean, the, that was I, even I, one of those yeah. two as well. But, but the whole point is, it's like, is, is y- y- the, the badass cop, that, oh, Shaft, Shaft is a good yeah, example. Yeah, Shaft is a great one. Yeah, you but what I'm saying is, but I'm saying is, it was like sort of the badass cop era. It was basically like, what sold in the 1970s was like the badass cop movies. Mm-hmm. And then, and then here comes this little sci-fi that comes along and they're like, oh, it's going to be another B-movie. But then Star Wars did what it did. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, everybody wanted to do sci-fi. I mean, you you had a bunch of, like, Star Wars imitators after that. That's when you came out with, like, like, Roger, like, you know, it's like, like, uh, like, uh, well, you, well, well, you had all these whole, whole bunch of different ones, you know? It's like, uh... Talking you, about Roger Corman? Yeah, Roger Corman. He, he came out with, like, Battle Beyond the Stars. Yeah. Which was basically, like, Seven Samurai in Space. <laughs> Um, 
But uh, but but yeah, what I'm saying. But it was capitalizing on the Star Wars thing. Yeah. And then um and then you had things like Star Crash. Um, and then you had, um, message, uh, uh, message from Earth, uh, or no, message from space. Yeah. And then, um, a Disney even tried to capitalize and, uh, capitalize on it with the black hole. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know about you, but I was not a big fan of the black hole. Um, it was Disney trying to, uh, capitalize. Capitalize. Once again, it was, it was Disney trying to be Star Wars, but they couldn't quite do it because since Disney was supposed to be, at the time, family friendly. Yeah. They, they couldn't exactly be like, oh my gosh, we can't have our people killing people. Yeah. That would just be awful. Exactly. Because Disney doesn't kill people. Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> anyway, but uh, <laughs> but but a uh, different time, different place. But but the whole point point is, it's like you just had a ton of imitators. It was like everybody was wanting to do like Star Wars, and it interesting. And, you know, and then, um, uh, but the uh, but but then you talk about different directors and whatnot. And I'm glad we got on the subject because no, you're good. Well, another movie that came out, um, just uh, just shortly after that, it was uh, I think just two years later. Um, that was when Ridley Scott came out with the first Alien movie, and that was when you had like I, I mean uh, when I mean I think you'd had some stuff before, but this was the first time when you basically had a sci-fi slash horror, mm -hmm. and it became a mainstream thing. One thing that really actually kind of was cool about the Alien movies was it had taken a different approach to the sci-fi genre, which. I thought it was really cool because when I first saw the very first Alien movie, not only did I shit my pants <laughs> because it just scared the hell out of me, it also excited me because I was like, this is a completely new direction that the sci-fi community is going, and I like it. Because back in the day, you got the whole Roswell talking about aliens and all this other wonderful stuff, Yeah, but you didn't have anything that was... Highlighting the aliens. Well, yeah, and and let's be honest, the the most of the stuff that you would see in the fifties and sixties, and I'm not mocking because there was some good stuff that came back then. There and was. was a lot of a lot of classic movies I like. Yeah, but but let's be honest, the the the, the central plots usually were either a alien invasion, which tend to be typical. Flying saucers would come down and destroy a bunch of shit, and then people that... would have to fight it, and then the, then somehow they get rid of the alien scum. Yeah. Um, they had scary. they had the abduction scenario, which which would happen a lot. Some people get abducted by aliens and blah 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 blah. There was the there was the scenario, and this happened a lot, where you'd have astronauts travel to a planet, and all these all, all this bad stuff would happen to them because of these freaky aliens. Um, I was not a fan of that yeah. subgenre. I'm sorry. Um, there were a few I liked in that, uh, but 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 I, but I know what you mean. It was kind of overplayed. It was yeah. overused. Um, but basically, you had sort of your your typical plots that way. You didn't have um. You you uh, it was like by that point because one of the things I'll at least give the nineteen nineteen thirties and forties was they were very inventive with their sci-fi because that's where they had a lot of sci-fi action adventure. That's when things like as I said, Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers came about. You yeah. had that fun action adventure sci-fi. Um, but then the sci-fi as I said, it kind of took this whole sort of you know alien visitors from another world thing like basically alien invasion alien abduction and basically 
just you know just plain um like like basically um you know humans land on a hostile world thing um and uh, but that's pretty much where sci-fi went all throughout the all throughout the, the the you know the the late 50s clear up until the 70s you know had a lot of that and then you got a few and then and then and then they went into another genre that kind of uh, cropped up in the 70s was uh that's when you got sort of the post-apocalyptic sci-fi and that and that actually became popular for a little bit, which yeah. is basically yeah, you know, sort of, you know, you have this sort of dystopian world and uh, um in 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 you know and uh, they're you know because like uh, what was it um like, like they the, that's when they had like Zardos with uh, with Sean Connery yeah where where basically you had this society that was controlled by this uh, maniacal evil um sort of like uh. Almost like computer god thing. Um, now, with and then the you had dystopian future ones. Well, and then you had Death Race Five Thousand, which interesting enough, Roger Corman did, which was actually one yeah. of the better ones, in my opinion. But once again, it was still post-apocalyptic. But once again, but the when Star Wars came about, that's when that's when fun sci-fi became accessible again. Yeah. That's when it's like that's when it's like okay, cool, we can now have action adventure sci-fi again. Mm -hmm. And I said, and then you had a ton of pretenders after that and then a ton of people were trying to capitalize on that and it just became a thing and then um they were known as the great pretenders ah <laughs> zing anyway. <laughs> um anyways but uh but, but that's what i'm saying is that uh you know um you know and then uh and then um you know um uh, then there's a lot of ones that uh once star wars basically became known as we we had the star wars trilogy yeah um because then because then you know as i said star wars did what did but then each movie would would, would do so well because then, then empire strikes back came out and empire strikes back surpassed the first star wars oh yeah um, uh, like leaps and bounds oh yeah and and once again this is debatable because some people will uh would disagree and some people agree but one thing you can say is like the the, the numbers were much more huge mm -hmm. on Empire Strikes Back is as opposed to the first Star Wars. And in my opinion, it was one of my favorite ones because it was one of the darker entries in the series. And usually when I watch trilogies, I usually do like the darker ones. Um, and, uh, and then I said, uh, you know, Empire Strikes Back, what I like about it was it was one of those ones that, the, you know, the good guys didn't win. If you go back and watch it, the good guys never, the good guys never won in that movie. They just stayed alive. Yeah, they were just like, well... We'll keep as many people as possible alive. Yeah, but they never won because, in fact, it was actually the bad guys that won in that movie. The Empire were the victors in the by the end of that movie. And I've actually had a lot of arguments with that because a yeah. lot of people, oh, well, what about the, what about the, the Force? And I'm like, you do realize there's a good part of the Force and a bad part of the Force, right? Yeah. Well, not only that, but it's like, <laughs> what's that got to do with the fact that the that the bad guys won? I mean that's didn't that didn't affect the plot. The whole thing is is that yeah, you go and you watch Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And what happened in that movie was was that really the good guys actually just stayed alive and the bad guys won. Yeah. Not you know a lot of people like would, would try to fight me on that too because I've I've had a several people like but it's like but this happened and that happened and the empire didn't catch him blah 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 blah. I was like, "Let me tell you why the empire won." First off, they destroy the Hoth base, which was the Rebels' big base at that point. Exactly. The, it said, um, you know, uh, um, Luke gets his hand cut off. 
Han gets frozen in carbonite. That's right. Cloud City gets taken by the Empire. Mm-hmm. I was like, how is that not the bad guys winning? <laughs> exactly. I think the only thing that the bad guys really did was they they fended them off just enough. Basically, what happened was the good guys didn't get completely crushed. Yeah. That's what happened in Empire Strikes Back, was the good guys just didn't get squashed like bugs. Which they could have. Which they could have, but what I'm saying is, they got hurt pretty bad. As I said, the bad guys won in that movie, but what I like about it was the movie wasn't about good triumphing, triumphing over evil in that one. Yeah. That was what the first movie was about. <laughs> oh, really, it was. You oh, watch, I know. You watch the first Star Wars, that's what it really is about. But you watch Empire Strikes Back, and that was really more about surviving. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going <laughs> to segue... Because mm-hmm. we've gone on, like, the biggest tangent. <laughs> and no, it's good. I'm going to throw out... Actually, I'm going to ask you. What are some good comic recommendations that... Whether it's indie, Marvel, DC, I don't give a fuck where it's from. Uh, just just my personal recommendations? Yeah, just maybe some new comics you've read. Maybe some Classics. more nostalgic classic ones mm. that we haven't talked about. Okay, well... um. You know, uh, let's see. In terms of newer ones, um, let's see. I would, uh, um, I would suggest, um, in terms of uh, newer comics, I would actually suggest, and, and once again, this is my own personal thing. I would suggest Todd McFarlane's current run on Spawn because yeah. I kind of like where he's been going. Is that the older Spawns had this sort of superhero feel to it? Um, the newer spawns actually feel more like a, a, a horror comic. Mm-hmm. It, it, it definitely feels more on the horror angle, and I kind of like that. I, kinda, it, I feel like it's evolved in a good way. It's not just your standard superhero book anymore. Now it's got this sort of horror feel to it. And uh, and then another one I would um, I would recommend um is i would all i would also recommend uh uh low from rick remender mm-hmm. yes yes the low the low series i mean that's actually pretty good it's actually kind of like it's almost like a dark dystopian slash anime mecha kind of thing <coughs> if it makes sense <laughs> it does yeah, it's it's almost like if you took uh, if you t- it's almost like if you took Gundam but you made it but you made it more dark. Yeah. <laughs> I have a recommendation. I know you and I have yeah. read it. Yeah. And you're going to have to remind me of the creator because I've read this mm-hmm. like about a year ago and I still I can't mm-hmm. fucking remember. Yeah. But if you've ever gotten your hands on Battle Pope that's Robert Kirkman, man. Come yes, on. Yeah, that's it that's is. that's Walking Dead's Robert Kirkman. That's right. <laughs> that comic run is so sacrilegiously hilarious. Yeah. It, it, I mean, if well, you're is, easily I mean, offended, please don't read that comic because there's yeah. so much fucking sacrilege in that comic. Yeah. However, it is so damn funny. Oh, it is. I mean, here's the whole thing. If you can, if you can take spoof for what it is, yeah, it's actually really good. And and I would suggest, you know, I mean, people with good sense of humor check it out because I mean, come on. I mean, not only is Battle Pope get in these hilarious situations, but come on, he actually has he actually has Jesus as his sidekick. And who wouldn't want Jesus as a sidekick? I mean, come on. <laughs> Seriously. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I said, if you can get past the sacrilegious bit, it's actually quite hilarious. And then, um, and the different thing, yeah. and the different situations they get into, yeah. every issue, it's just like, oh my god. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, another one I'd like to throw out there, and this is a classic thing. I would actually, um, I would actually suggest, um, I would actually, I would actually suggest the, uh, uh, the run, uh, the old, the older runs of Conan, uh, and for several different reasons and several different creators. Yeah. Um, because, uh, first off, Roy Thomas, I mean, he had a long ass writing run. On Conan, and he wrote Conan really well. You got yeah. you wrote Conan for a long fucking. Time. Oh, in fact, he actually wrote both books that they were coming out with because he had he he wrote he wrote he wrote he wrote the original Conan, um, which was coming out through Marvel. Didn't he do uh, Conan of Samaria too? No, um, it was he did the Savage Sword of Conan, that's what, yeah, which that's was right. the more mature Conan. That's title. right. The the Conan of Samaria was. Well, Conan and Samaria, I think, was just a separate story because what it, what they had was they would do little side stories. Yeah. Um. And uh, but what I'm saying is that the the different runs that they had, Roy, Roy Thomas wrote pretty much a lot of the Conan stuff because he wrote he wrote Conan, he wrote King Conan, he wrote uh, um, you know, he, uh, it's like uh, he was he was pretty much writing most of the big Conan books, and then they said, and he also wrote the Savage Sword. Uh, most of the Savage Sword ones he also wrote. Yeah. Um. And then, um, and then also, I would suggest for the different runs for artists because you have, um, because you have uh, um, uh, uh, Barry Windsor Smith. Mm-hmm. He he did he did the first initial run of Conan, and you should check out his stuff because the guy's got amazing artwork and the way the guy uses. Uh, and I've, I think I've said this on previous podcasts, but the way the guy uses um, uh, uses the caption boxes. He, I, I like the way he does that because he doesn't, uh, for for the most part. I mean, there are a few exceptions. For the most part, he doesn't use them as as just a way to simply give narration. Yeah. Um, most of his caption boxes are usually are basically the uh, it's, it's showing the character's thoughts. Mm-hmm. So instead of like having a thought balloon, it would just be those thoughts would be reflected in the caption boxes. And so that's one that's one suggestion I would make. Um, and then oh, and then also, um, and then also um, John Buscema because mm-hmm. he did a long ass run on Conan as well. Yes, he did. And and and, and I like his stuff because it just looks so freaking polished. His his uh, John Buscema's style is is like when you look at comic book characters, John Buscema has that sort of essential comic book character style and if though you don't know who John Buscema is just look him up because not only is he did some excellent stuff on Conan but I mean he did a whole bunch of different runs on various different characters I mean he he, he did some stuff for Thor um he's he I mean he's done some stuff for Spider-Man mm-hmm. um he's done some stuff for uh pretty much well, almost every major Marvel character he's done and in fact he was the artist who was featured in how to draw comics the Marvel way true um so so yeah I mean if you're thinking um because I mean I think when most people think essential comic books they usually think of Jack the King Kirby and mm-hmm. and Rightly so. Yeah. But but if anybody's sort of a close successor, it's definitely John Buscema. John Buscema definitely has a good classic comic book art style. This is very true. Now, um, we're going to close up the podcast because we're getting close to the to the hour of the witch. Yeah. So, <clears throat> as always, Jared, 
it has been amazing to have you on the podcast. Oh yeah, definitely. And like I said, what I want to point out before is we've actually got some good projects in the pipeline. So I want to I want to get this out of the way before we close up. Got some good projects in the pipeline. Darren Darren number four is getting some stuff worked on. Um, don't worry, you know, I, I want to let you know that, uh, that Raz and I just, just recently had a talk and, uh, we're working on some stuff to do for the Darren Marble 4 Kickstarter, so that is being worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and as I said, uh, as, as Corey and I pointed out, Furious is also being worked on. Samir Samal and Brian Glass are working closely together. Um, and, and that, that'll be out, and, and that'll be out as soon as possible. We're also working on the Romeo and Juliet graphic novel, yes. which you know, uh, which that should be out as soon as possible. Um, we recently just barely started shipping copies of Five Star Number Two mm-hmm. and Monsters on the Run Number Two. Yes. Um, so please check those out. We have them available on our website. Um, we sh- we you know, and then hopefully we can get them to your local comic book stores. Yeah. Um, and. Um, and anyway, so we have all those really awesome things coming down the pipeline. Plus, um, mm-hmm. starting this week, mm-hmm. uh, Gaspar is going to be starting on page 16 of Tax Cab Joe number two. Oh, yes, please. Thank you. So... Thank you for reminding me. Yes, <laughs> Taxi Cab Joe number two is being currently worked on. That is still set for, uh, that is still set for this December. We uh we also we also um and this is this one's completely finished done up and we're just uh and, and we're and, and and we're going to be uh and we're going to be shipping uh, shipping them out here um with uh, within the next month or so um we're going to be having sexy zombie hunters yes which is set for an October release exactly um and, I'm I'm excited for this one oh yeah well and, and this, <clears throat> this is great because it'd be just in time for someone to re- have a good cool how a uh, halloween book to read you know before that comes up which is great yeah um and so yeah i just wanted to get that out of the way um you know um and so you know and, the, and those those are the announcements on the business front um you know um so i just want to let people know that things are being worked on so just <coughs> yeah, just please hang in there with us be patient with us cool things are coming Awesome things are being worked on, and it's all going to be worth it at the end of the day. I promise you that. And as and as I, I wanted to just give one last thing before I head off, and that is that once again I want to remind people that Corey and I will be looking at the Bloodstained game more in depth. Yes, we're going to we're going to give it a full playthrough. We're going to play the and, shit out of that game. Oh yeah, and then and then and then once we've given it the full playthrough. Then um, it'll either be next week or at least the week after. Yeah. We will we will do a we will do a podcast where we will tell you exactly <clears throat> full uh, our full experience of the entire Bloodstain game. Exactly. Now, with that being said, <clears throat> everybody have an amazing next week. Do what you can to show people that you love them and you care about them. Do what you can to uh, spotlight a creator that you enjoy, whether it's books, movies, comics, doesn't matter what the medium is. Show them some love. Show them that you appreciate what they do because we as creators, we as writers, we we take pride and energy and effort in everything that we do. Oh, definitely. <clears throat> and we want it to be appreciated because 
the time and effort we put into making these for you, for your entertainment, to maybe step out of the real world and have a type mm -hmm. of escape. Definitely. We, we really do love what we do. So don't think that <clears throat> we're just making these scripts and making these comics because it's just something to do. No, no. It, it's definitely, it, it's reciprocal. It's like we, we enjoy making these stories, but we also enjoy when other people enjoy them. Exactly. So on that note, if you have a creator that you've read or you've watched a movie or whatever, give them a shout out, whether on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Oh, yeah, I actually want to emphasize this right before we wrap up, and I'll do it real quick. But, yes, I totally agree with you. If you enjoy a creator, please share their stuff. Tag them in it. Exactly. Tell them, tell them this, is some, this is some great work from this writer or this artist or whatever. The whole point is give them credit. Share it. Really, this is the whole thing, and a lot of people don't understand how important this is. I mean, yes, it's important to... to to love or like these things on Twitter and Facebook, but share them, share them, share them. If you share, the more you share them, the more the people are going to see them. So please, I mean, even if you got 50 million shares of one post, keep on doing it. That is helping the creators out. Exactly. Have an amazing week, and we will see you next Saturday.